Good morning and welcome to our services again today. I was so thankful to be worshiping with you this morning virtually. So today we're going to be coming out of the book of Jonah and today's sermon is called uh, Jonah Ran Away. And we're going to see just throughout the book of Jonah how we can see ourselves in the story, how we can see ourselves as Jonah and maybe other characters that we come, come across along the way. But we're just going to start right into it in Jonah chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish and to flee from the Lord. So just to begin, um, I want to just give a little bit of context to what's going on here in the book of Jonah, okay? We have this word from the Lord come straight from the verse 1, or excuse me, verse 2, to Jonah from God telling him to go to Nineveh, okay? And that might sound like a scary journey. You know, obviously you're going to have to go by ship. You have no idea what's going to happen to you along the way. But another layer to this is just how vile of a place Nineveh would be, okay? Nineveh is one of the capitals of Assyria, and Assyria and Israel are not best friends at this point, okay? The Ninevites are especially gruesome because they have a history of doing pretty bad things to the people they did not like, okay? They would often behead their enemies, and a lot of times they would actually impale their enemies and, and, and put them around the city to help people realize just how you know gruesome of people they are. So the Ninevites are not just a group of people that, you know, are in need of evangelizing to. These are some pretty scary people, okay? And I can't help but think about the VeggieTales whenever I think about this. I think in the VeggieTales, the people of Nineveh, they hit people with fish. And they kind of make it funny because, you know, it's, it's, a, kid's, it's a kid's show. Um, but Nineveh was not like that, okay? It was not a fun place to be. VeggieTales takes that story and makes it appropriate for kids. But I just want to put the context of where Jonah is going is not a pleasant place, okay? So Jonah hears that he is to go to Nineveh, and what's his response? He's going to run away, okay? And to a certain degree, I don't blame Jonah, okay? But I also want to make note that this is not the first time that Jonah has been called by God to go and prophesy, if you were to go over to 2 Kings chapter 14, you would find where Jonah is already prophesying. Okay, he's mentioned very briefly. He is actually prophesying in the time of, of King Jeroboam. Okay, and if you are an Old Testament scholar, you know that King Jeroboam wasn't a great guy. But for whatever reason, during that time, God saw Israel and he saw that they were miserable. And he actually led them in a prosperous way. They started to prosper and to succeed, and under the king of Jeroboam, even though he was an evil man, good things were happening, and guess what? Jonah was in the middle of all that. He was prophesying about Israel coming to a better stance in the world. He was prophesying about the good things that are going to happen to Israel under this evil king. So, if you're a prophet, and you're prophesying, and those prophecies are coming true, that means you're a really good prophet. A bonus to that is that when you're prophesying and good things happen and they're the things that you're prophesying about, it's a double thumbs up. That's an awesome situation to be in because usually prophets are not the most likable people, right? A lot of bad things happen to prophets. So before Jonah that we're reading about here, he's had some success as a prophet 
And it seems that he's had a favorable time as a prophet as compared to other prophets in, throughout history. But now, I guess, the other shoe falls. Jonah is called to go to one of the scariest places with some of the scariest people on earth. And he's called to tell them to repent because its wickedness has come up before me. He, God essentially says, go preach to them because they're so wicked and, and, I'm, and I'm noticing. That sounds like a terrible task. Think about going from being a prophet who's telling good news to a prophet who's going to other people who I guess essentially it is good news, but telling those people that, hey, you're wicked people and you need to repent. Those are two, two very different jobs, right? So we have this prophet Jonah and he's told to do a very difficult and very different task than he's accustomed to doing. And this new task is too much. And as we just read, he gets on a boat and he goes to Tarshish. And while he's on this boat, some bad stuff happens. Let's pick, let's pick it up in verse 14. Then the Lord set a great wind because, okay, because Jonah obviously gets in this boat. He's running away, away from God. He's running away from his job in a way. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose and the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they, were th and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And, I, and, I, and I've mentioned this, I think I preached on Jesus sleeping in the boat. And we're going to talk, I think, more about that next week again. Okay, sorry to repeat, but um, it's so odd to me that Jonah gets on this boat and he immediately tries to go find a place to sleep. Right? He's trying to avoid conflict of all kinds. And he gets into this place where everything is happening above him, but he's found sleep below deck. It seems a little odd. You know, eventually Jonah comes to grips with the fact that the storm is happening because of him. He's angered Yahweh. He, he's angered his God by running away from his job. And eventually he tells the sailors to throw him overboard. Now pause for a second. When I, when I grew up reading this, I saw this as, okay, finally, Jonah is accepting responsibility. He's finally accepting, you know what? I'm God's prophet. It's time for me to own up to my mistake. But in reality, to me, what I see Jonah is, is this is his last ditch effort to get away from what God has called him to do. In the back of his head, maybe Jonah is thinking, you know what? If I jump overboard, there's no way I'm going to survive. And now I'm implying this onto the text. But if we read about Jonah's actions up to this point, it doesn't seem too far-fetched. He does not want to go to Nineveh. He wants nothing to do with that job or those people. But unfortunately, God has a different plan, right? Jonah eventually gets to Nineveh in one of the weirdest ways possible. And he finally, he goes and preaches. He says about eight or nine words. And I can just see Jonah's face, <clears throat> right? He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to do what he's, he doesn't want to be doing what he's doing. He says his, his uh, words that he's prepared and everybody repents, right? The people hear and, the, and the, eventually the king hears and not only do the, do the people repent and fast, but the king tells the, the people to not let the livestock eat either and to make the livestock fast. That is an incredible transformation. 
right? These wicked people, these impalers, these crazy, seemingly demonic people, right? They repent because of Jonah's words, his unwilling words. That should be great, right? Another victory for Jonah. But what does Jonah do? In chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong after they repented and after God heard their repentance. But but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. That's strange. It seems that whenever you go out to complete a job, especially a difficult one, and, and something good comes of it, you shouldn't be angry. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a strange response. It seems to me that Jonah has a very, very big problem with God forgiving people. Jonah has a very big problem with God forgiving people. And so I read all that, I recap the entire book of Jonah to bring two things. One, just as Jonah in verse, uh, verse uh, 5 right here, just as Jonah falls asleep, we all fall asleep. We all fall asleep to what God is currently doing or what God is trying to do. And what do I mean by that? I'm guilty of this, very much so. I, and I, and I, I honestly, I'm very good at sleeping. I'm really, I fall asleep very easily. <clears throat> and not just when I'm trying to go to sleep. I fall asleep sometimes um, when I'm just sitting on the couch. Sometimes I fall asleep, not necessarily actually close my eyes and go to sleep during a conversation. You know, my, my mind might drift off. But sometimes I fall asleep when I get so overwhelmed that I have so many things to do, so many things to complete that I actually want to just go to sleep and forget about it all. I remember in college, that was, you know, it seemed like I would do that quite often, right? I'd have two tests at the end of the week and I'd have different projects to do throughout. And instead of doing the things I need to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll take a nap on Monday or I'll go to sleep on Tuesday. And I have all these things to do but I just fall asleep because there's just too much to accomplish. There's too much to do. My mind would be overloaded with things that I would just say, all right, I just need to go to sleep and maybe it will all resolve itself. And as you know, if you ever tried this, falling asleep only makes things worse, right? Jonah learned that lesson the hard way. Falling asleep only makes things worse. Because if you look at the text, Not only did Jonah run away from what God was calling him to do, he gets on a boat, right? And he goes out to sea as far away from God as possible. And not only is he on on deck, he goes below deck to get further away from God. And not only is he below deck, but he shuts off his brain and goes to sleep so that he doesn't even have to think about what God might be doing right now. 
Jonah is focusing and he's, and he's seeing all these different things and his only response is to fall asleep, to forget about it all and to neglect the exact thing that he's been called to do. He's fallen asleep. My question is, what are we falling asleep to that we know that we need to be taking care of? Are we falling asleep to those disciplines that we want to do so badly, that, that time in silence that we want to spend with God, that time in prayer, that time in study, that time speaking or, or, or having a Bible study, whatever it might be, those, those typical things, right, that we fall asleep to sometimes. And sometimes we fall asleep so long in our prayer lives that it's hard to start again. You know, it's like, I haven't prayed in a long time. I don't think that God's really going to listen to me anymore. We fall asleep in those ways all the time. In a much bigger way, I'm reminded, especially this month, that we sometimes fall asleep to our responsibilities to our brothers and sisters of color. Unfortunately, for a very long time, we have done a disservice to our minority brothers and sisters. This is something that we desperately need to wake up to in the church. This is something that we need to come together and learn together in. I've read several books um, during this time just to try, to try to better educate myself of all the things that I just don't understand being a white male in the United States, having conversations with people, listening to podcasts, just so that I can possibly wake up to all the things that have been going on around me for so long that I just didn't know was happening. And this isn't, this isn't me just trying to come across and say, oh, you're doing a bad job, but I think it's time for the church to wake up and say, what can we do for our brothers and sisters of color to make them know that we love them and that they're, they are a part of this body? Because for so long, it seems that, we, that they have felt excluded. What can we do to wake up in that way? Obviously, you know, reading books, reading articles, listening to, listening to podcasts of people who look different than you, of people who have different perspective than you. And I'm not just saying this, and, and I don't want you to hear this and say, oh, you're trying to you know, uh, make this a platform to, no, it's, it's not like that. This is gospel. This is something that we need to wake up to. This is something that we have been neglecting, that we need to open our eyes and see that we have missed and see and show that love to people in our lives. We need to wake up to racial injustice. We need to wake up to the fact that we need to be involved in the lives of other people. So much of life right now is isolated, and I get it, we have to be, because this virus is, is this pandemic is a pandemic. It's a global pandemic. We have to be isolated in certain ways. But that doesn't mean that we stop reaching out to other people. That doesn't mean that we stop intervening in people's lives that we love and care about and say, hey, what are you struggling with right now? How can I help you? We need to wake up and be involved in other people's lives. And there's different things. I hope that this stirs something in you to ask yourself the question, what have I been asleep to? What have my eyes been shut to, conscious or unconscious, that I need to wake up to right now? How can you wake up? How can I wake up? This is a question I'm asking myself, okay? How can we all wake up? Jonah asked us this question, okay? Excuse me, first thing, we all fall asleep. We all need to wake up. Second thing, 
Jonah illuminates that grace is infinite. And I talk a lot about grace. I feel like I just finished a two-part series about grace, right, in Ephesians 2. But I still struggle with it every day. Just to full, full disclosure, I sat down with my spiritual director this morning and had a long discussion about how I never give myself any kind of grace. That's a problem. It's a problem when, when we don't see God's grace in and among us. Because when we read Jonah, we have to be able to see all the different characters that we come across, right? We have Jonah, of course, the, the prophet who wants nothing to do with his calling. We have these sailors, these mariners who experience grace from this unwilling prophet. We have the people of Nineveh. We have the king of Nineveh. All these people experience God's grace. And Jonah doesn't realize that this entire time, he himself has also been experiencing God's grace. Jonah needed God's grace. Nineveh definitely needed God's grace. And we desperately need God's grace. And not just grace to ourselves to say, oh, thank you, God, for, for saving me, for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. That's an ultimate grace that we need to pay tribute to, and we do every single Sunday, and we should every single day of our lives. But it's about the grace and the little things as well. It's the grace in those experiences, right? You need to give yourself grace for being asleep to things sometimes. You know, for me, I've been reading these books about social justice and the first few, I felt really upset with myself. It's like, how, how did I miss this? But there has to be a level of grace that I give myself for my ignorance. And also the ignorance that I have now that I'm trying to strive to be more and more understanding of in the future. I need to give grace to myself and I need to give grace to other people, right? That, that, that do wrong to me or do wrong to somebody else. I can't just condemn them on that one act because if we read this and if we read about what Jonah does in the Ninevites you know, uh, place in all this, there's a whole lot of grace going around. And we desperately need it in our own lives to give to ourselves and to give to others. If you are a vehicle of grace, in this world, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. And sometimes you might be an unwilling prophet like, uh, like Jonah here. You might not want to go and turn that stone over, right? You might want to stay asleep to certain things. You might want to stay ignorant of certain things. You might want to leave that person alone. You might not want to have that conversation with that, with that person at work, whatever it might be. We need to be agents of grace in this world. Give yourself grace and give grace to others because that is the way we understand just how gracious the Father is in this world. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this time and I thank you for Jonah. And I know that I just spent a good amount of time talking, you know, I guess bad about Jonah in some ways but really not because he illuminates so much for us. He illuminates so much about your grace and he illuminates so much about how our need, excuse me, about our need to wake up in this world. God, help us to not be 
unwilling servants. And even when we are unwilling servants, help us to wake up and see your grace and embrace it. God, we thank you for your son, the ultimate sign of grace, and help us to be agents of grace in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.